The scripture for today's teaching comes from Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 14. Please stand for the reading of God's word. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. This is God's word. Please be seated. Thanks. Good morning. Such a rich, wonderful time already, isn't it? I just, man, I, I love this community and the people that are here and here in Jeff and the Christies and so many of you that have shared recently. It's been such a delight. I really, really enjoy our time together. Uh, we're going to go a little long today. You know, just want to let you know that. Um, and we knew that ahead of time. We have someone else to share as well. Um, so I'm going to teach a little bit, and then we have one more person to share. I think you'll really enjoy it and be encouraged. So let me just jump into what I want to talk about today. I will keep my comments shorter than usual. Uh, the last five weeks, we've been looking at sharing God's love where we live, work, and play. And the rationale behind this was... These are the places we already find ourselves. You don't have to go anywhere. You live somewhere, you work somewhere, you play somewhere. You're already there. And so the, the point of this series on outreach has been to, to say, you know, what are the opportunities that God is already putting all around us? We don't have to go to the other side of the world to find those. We just have to have open eyes, open hearts to the people around us, and then be available to what God wants to do. Because that's really been the heart and soul of this series on outreach. And we have three more weeks in this series. And what we're going to do for these last three weeks, we're going to start to expand that a little bit beyond just where you find yourself and the things you would normally do in your week to actually, there might be things that we want to move beyond. It's still going to be local, but we're going to stretch ourselves beyond our normal rhythms to what might God have for us a little bit outside of our normal daily rhythms. And today, specifically, we're going to talk about our cities Okay. What is outreach to the city? So you don't have to move to do this, but you might need to think beyond just your, your neighbors and your work. But what would it look like to have an outreach to our cities? What is the church's role to be or what can it be in the city? 
first week of this series, beginning in the fall, I showed you this map, right? This is our home addresses, or at least most of us. And of course, we live in these cities in Orange County. Down at the bottom left, you have a high concentration in Newport and Costa Mesa, right? You've got Huntington, uh, Fountain Valley, some Santa Ana, a lot of Tustin Orange. You move into Irvine, you've got some South County folks. But these are the cities that we live in. And I want to ask the question, what, what should our role, what is salt and light in the city look like? And what I want to do today is give us a really high-level biblical overview of the city. A little bit of the story of cities in God's narrative. And then I'm going to invite someone up to share some thoughts about how we can do this. And uh, this person is uh, in a better place than I am to share those things. So it'll make sense as we get to it. So quick, quick, I just want to remind you of the, the biblical story as it pertains to cities, okay? So just go on a little five-minute journey with me, all right? So just to remember, I've got some pictures to keep you interested in what I have to say. Um, some of them are pretty good, some are not that good, I'll be honest, but either way, you'll be, you'll keep your attention. So um, uh, just a reminder that the story uh, does not begin in a city, right? The story begins in a what? In a garden, Right? The Garden of Eden, of course, at this time, there aren't people, so there aren't any cities. But God creates the first man and woman and places them in the Garden of Eden. It's this beautiful, natural environment. You've got these rivers that run through it. You have the tree of life there that would give eternal life to them. In chapter 2, it says that, that they were put there in the garden to work it and to take care of it. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. To cultivate this garden. If you go back to chapter 1... Uh, God's initial commandment to humanity was to be fruitful and increase, right? Fill the earth and rule over it and subdue it. So the idea there was God intended humanity to spread out, right? Maybe to, to spread out into the world and to subdue the earth, to cultivate it, to bring order to it, to, to enhance its beauty, to partner with God in shaping the creation that he had made. Maybe... Uh, it's hard to know exactly what this would have looked like, but to spread Eden out to the entire earth as God's fellow workers doing that, cultivating it. My assumption is, even if the fall hadn't happened, this spreading out and the growing of the, of the human race would have involved the growing of human culture, right? That cultivate word into culture and civilization. And homes would have been built. People would have gathered together. together. Cities would have been made. And these would have been places that would have, that would have worked very well with the natural environment, of course. But they would have been cities where God dwelled, places where humans gathered, where there was justice and peace, human flourishing, God's presence in the cities, all right? That would, that's my assumption of what, what God's command would entail, even prior to the fall. Now, I know, we know, of course, that the fall happened, right? That humanity chose independence from God, and humanity was sent out of the garden east of Eden. And as a result, now human culture and civilization and cities are now places that are marked by sin and corruption and brokenness, right? Uh, the first big city we see is, of course, the city of Babel. This is Genesis 11, where we see human society gathering together, organizing themselves, and saying, we want to make a name for ourselves. And so they build this tower that tries to reach to heaven, 
They essentially say, we're going to gather together, we're going to protect ourselves, and it's a place of human pride where we're going to make a name for ourselves. We're going to be famous. We're going to play the role of God. We're going to try to build a tower reaching to God's place of dwelling. So this is a city that is not marked by God's shalom and his peace and cooperation with him. Of course, it is a city that is marked by pride and the violence and the brokenness that follows from that. And you're going to see that cities throughout Scripture are marked by the same pride and violence and brokenness. Um, Our passage today is talking about not the city of Babel, but a city years later, the city of Babylon, right? And Babylon, that city, really represented uh, all of the, the wickedness of human cities. They were the enemies of God's people. Of course, the Babylonians, we read this under our Ezekiel series, they came in, they conquered Jerusalem, they carried the people off into exile, right? Into Babylon. It was a very pagan, violent uh, city, broken. Uh, you can carry this theme all the way through Scripture, the, the, the brokenness of, of cities, into even the last book of the Bible, Revelation, where there you have Babylon showing up again. Babylon the Great. Uh, you may know it as the whore of Babylon. You get this, this picture of this woman riding a beast and she's drinking this goblet. She's drinking the blood of the saints. And it's really this personification of human civilization society, a city, Babylon, organizing itself in opposition to God. All right? Ultimately destined for judgment by God. So... In the biblical story, you have this, this negative uh, thrust that, that cities can carry. Uh, but you also have a much more positive thrust. It's really the tale of two cities, this biblical story. I just finished reading that novel, actually. It's a great novel. And the Bible really is the tale of two cities. And so along with this theme of the corruption of civilizations and, and cities, you have this other theme of, of God's heart for human civilization, that God's heart for the city, and even God's creation of a specific city in which he wants to dwell. And of course, I'm thinking of the city of Jerusalem, right? Beginning with King David who conquered Jerusalem and set it up as the capital city uh, for the, the Jewish nation, for Israel. And this was to be a place where God's temple was, where God's presence dwelt. Uh, it was a city that was to reflect his justice his shalom, Jerusalem. Uh, it was to be a city that protected the vulnerable, the poor, the oppressed. Uh, it was a city that was to be a light to all the other cities, right? It was, wisdom was to flow forth from Jerusalem, from Mount Zion. People would come and experience the goodness of God's law and wisdom. It was a city that was the place, the dwelling place of God. God's heart for this city. And you read the Psalms and you, you get the, the passion for Jerusalem, Let me read you from Psalm 48. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise in the city of our God, his holy mountain. It is beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth. Walk about Zion, go around her, count her towers, view her citadels that you may tell of them to the next generation. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. This real passion for the city of God's dwelling. And yet if you know the story, you know that over time, even this city became corrupted by sin uh, and violence. So that when Jesus shows up on the scene, he steps into this city and he sees it in its brokenness. And he cries, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. (laughs) 
Ah, Jerusalem, I have so longed to gather you under my wings, right? This mother hen, I I long to gather you and you wouldn't have, I wish you knew what would make for peace in the city whose name means peace and you wouldn't have it. And so you see even the corruption of this city. And with that then, God's heart for the city, the corruption, the way the story ends is God's promise of a new city, of a new Jerusalem, right? A a creation that would come from heaven and come down. It would be all that God intends. Here comes the cheesy picture. Forgive me. This is the closest thing I could find. Um, This is where the story ends, right? In, In the book of Revelation, chapters 21 and 22. Then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And I heard a voice saying, now the dwelling of God is with people and he will live with them. It is not a city of our making. It is a creation of God coming down from heaven onto this new earth. And it is a beautiful city. It has beautiful walls, if you read it in Revelation, beautiful gates, beautiful architecture, these beautiful streets. Uh, The glory and the honor of the nations is brought into it. It is a city of peace and joy and human flourishing. It is shot through with the presence of God. And it is our final dwelling place. That is the ultimate promise, the ultimate hope. And so that is like the five-minute story (laughs) of God's plan. His his original plan for human civilization, the way that, that sin has marred that, and yet God's ultimate plan to redeem, restore, heal, transform. And one of the points I want to make here is just to remind us that the story begins in a garden, right? But the story does not end by taking us back to the garden. God is not going to take us back to the garden. The story ends in a city. It is a garden-like city. It has a river running through it. It has the tree of life. It's a garden-like city, but it is a city. God is not, is not removing human culture and civilization. The picture is of that redeemed and transformed and renewed and perfected, not by human ingenuity, but by God's sheer grace. But the story begins in a garden. The story ends in a city, a heavenly city. So you have this sort of interesting tension about cities, I think, in Scripture, where you, you feel the brokenness inherent in, in the cities, and yet God's heart for humanity in that. And so as Christians, I think we stand in an interesting relationship with our cities. So to put, put our, our map back up, okay, just to kind of bring this home, I, there's, I think we have this interesting relationship with, with our cities, and, and the, the biblical uh, description that I think is most helpful is that we are what you'll often hear called we are resident aliens. Okay, who's heard who's heard that phrase before? Yes, right. We're resident aliens, so we're residents, right? These are our cities. This is for some of us where we were born. That we belong here. This is our place. We love these cities, and yet, but we're supposed to view ourselves also as aliens, as as exiles. We don't fully belong. There, there's a there's a, a city, a future city, that has our true passion and hope and commitment. That's where our, our citizenship lies, if I can say it that way. Uh, Hebrews thirteen fourteen. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we're looking for the city that is to come, the new Jerusalem. That's where our hope is set. Our hope is not set, of course, in Costa Mesa or Tuscan or Newport, but it is set in the new Jerusalem. Here's how Peter begins his letter to God's chosen people, strangers 
Aliens, exiles in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. All right? Here's where you guys live. You live in these places, Galatia, Cappadocia. Yeah, you live there, but, but you're, that's where you've been scattered, but you're strangers in all these places. You're, you're exiles. You're resident aliens. And so if he were to write a letter to us today, he might say, you know, to, to God's chosen people, Strangers in the world scattered throughout Costa Mesa and Newport and Fountain Valley and Tustin and Orange and Irvine. You're resident aliens. And so the question I'm asking today, this is to drive this point home, is what should our posture be as resident aliens? What's our relationship to our cities? To have this love for the city, but to long for the heavenly city that God brings. What is the relationship? And and I just want to suggest today, um, Christians find themselves on a spectrum of opinion in answer to this. And I'm not going to land on one of these places, but I just want to point this out to you. I think there's some people who, who wrestle with that tension, and they find themselves on this side and say, our role is to transform the city. That's what salt and light means. It means to redeem the city, to uh, renew the city, to work towards cultural transformation, to, to change the structures of our city so that they're more in line with the kingdom of the city that God is going to bring. And we can do that through politics. We can do that through art and entertainment. We can do that through business. We can do that through uh, all sorts of nonprofit, all, all these ways. But we're, we're trying, we see the potential in the city and we're working to try to transform and renew the city because God cares for the city, okay? That's one sort of side of the spectrum. The other side would be, this is a, not the right word, withdraw. I, I don't mean it as, a, this, that feels negative to me. I don't mean this as negative, but it would be a more hands-off approach when it comes to the city and its structures. And the view here is, the, the, that's not, the church's role is not to try to transform society or to try to f- transform cities. That's not the role of the church. What we want to do is we want to absolutely reach out and love individuals in our cities. We want to share God's love with them. We want to share the truth of Jesus Christ. We want to hopefully bring people to saving faith. We want to uh, invite them into this new family that God is bringing about in the church. We want to be discipling them, preparing them for the new Jerusalem. But the role of the church is not to try to transform society. It is to, to, to work with individuals and to love them and share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. So these are these two spectrums. I would imagine as I'm talking, you, can find, you find yourself, uh, you're like, yeah, I guess that's how, I've always thought about it that way or that way. And I'm actually not advocating for one or the other. I'm saying I think there's, a, there's, a, there's some freedom here in how Christians approach this. But what I want to suggest is a posture that Wherever you find yourself on the spectrum, I think is like we would all agree, yes, this would be a good posture towards the city. This is low-hanging fruit. It doesn't take a lot of um, theological training to, to agree with a certain posture. Whether our view is we should transform or no, it's more of a hands-off approach, but we work with individuals. I think what the church can do and what we could all agree on is we ought to have this posture where the church is simply trying to serve the city. That whatever else the church is doing, the church at least sees itself in some capacity as a servant to the larger community. And I say that's low-hanging fruit because the, the command to serve is such a central command that I think we would all agree with. This is from Jesus' own mouth. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. 
and their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, my my whole purpose was to come and be a servant. And as you enter into discipleship with me, that is the role I want you to have, is to be a servant. And so I'm just expanding that servant role to our cities and asking the question, what if the church in Orange County, in the various cities we find ourselves, if our posture was, hey, we're here to serve. Jesus calls us to be servants. We're here to serve this larger city, this larger community, in whatever way. We're not going to participate in everything the city participates in. We're not going to agree with everything the the city is. But our posture towards the city is one of service. We're not just here to use the city. We're not just here to take advantage of the resources that the city offers. We're here as servants. We want to step and say, hey, how can we be of service? How can we help? And the thing is this. Every city has needs, (laughs) Right? Every city has its own unique needs. And the great thing is where the needs of the city come together with what we know are the de- desires and values of God, those will, there'll be intersection between those. Wherever those things are, there are great opportunities for the church to serve. Whatever those needs be, is there a need for justice? Is there a need for peace? Is there a need for care for the vulnerable in the city? Is there a need for community and connection? These are all things that we know are part of God's kingdom. And, and where those line up with the needs of the city, the church can say, hey, yeah, we, we want to be of service to this community. And there's so many ways that churches in Orange County, including our own, are doing this. Um, churches know one of the great ways we can serve is simply by praying for the city. And so people are meeting outside of City Hall once a month to, to just pray for city officials, to pray for the needs. Uh, some people are saying there's a need for education. There's a big education gap in certain cities. And so churches are coming in, seeing the, how low the literacy rate is in certain schools, and churches are saying, we're going we're gonna to adopt this school. That's going to be a way we serve this. We're going to adopt this school. We're going to come. We're going to support the teachers. We're going to come read with students. We feel like that's something that we can do. Um, other, other churches are, are looking at homeless situations in cities. And they're working together with city officials, with nonprofits, saying, how can we help to deal with, uh, come, come up with some solutions for some of the homeless situations? Uh, some are dealing with the immigrant um, populations uh, in cities. These people coming from other countries and trying to find a place in America. I was just at a church in Irvine who, um, that has a lot of, you know, a lot of Asian immigrants, a lot of Persian, and they're, they're running ESL classes, um, adult ESL for these people. And they're um, teaching them how to, how to read English, teach them what it means to be an American. And in the process, they're being ambassadors of Jesus' hospitality. And some of these people are now attending their churches. There's all sorts of ways um, that we can do this. But what would it look like for the church to say, we're here to serve? What would it look like for the church to meet with city leaders and say, hey, we want to serve. What are the needs of the city? Um, how can we be a help, helpful thing? Without really agenda, without agenda, say, we, we're here to serve. And I just think, how cool would it be if city leaders saw our churches as, ver- as great assets to the community? So like, like if, if the people on this map disappeared, our cities would be in trouble because these, these people are great assets to the larger community. Let me give you this quote. Uh, Service is something the community needs, God desires, and the church has the capacity to do. This is an interesting statement. The community may not care about salvation, right? They don't. The larger community doesn't. Uh, but it does have needs. 
And it is in meeting those needs through service that meaningful relationships develop. And out of relationships come endless opportunities to share the love of Christ in the gospel of salvation. The early church grew because its people loved and served. Here's our our, uh, passage today. I'll leave us with that quote, and I'm going to invite someone up. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Okay, that was written in a very specific context with a very specific purpose in mind. Uh, God was sending his people into exile. They were hoping they were going to come back in a year or two, and he was letting them know, no, it's going to be 70 years. So settle down, get used to it. And while you're there, seek the peace. Seek, pray for the prosperity of this city. If it prospers, you will prosper. And he was writing in a context of Babylon, this evil city that he was actually going to bring judgment on seven years later. And so my thought is if he could say that to them, then I would imagine he could say the same thing or something similar to us now in our cities. Hey, seek the peace, seek the prosperity, pray for the prosperity of the city. All right, so I'm going to invite up a special guest today. Uh, We are a Costa Mesa church. Obviously, we represent many cities. So I've actually invited the mayor of Costa Mesa to come speak with us. Uh, He's actually the former mayor, uh, now currently on city council in Costa Mesa, and he accepted the invitation. Uh, What made it particularly easy is he is here every Sunday. Um, So that made it kind of easy. But nonetheless, he's here. Uh, So I'm going to invite Alan Mansour up. Uh, And uh, we're going to have a little conversation for a couple minutes as we end today. And uh, Alan, so Jennifer was singing uh, this morning. Um, I don't have seats, but we'll just do it this way. Um, I'm going to hand this to you. Um, Alan and his wife have been coming here for a couple years now, maybe two, three years. About three. About three years. And uh, have just been a great part of our community. And they have their third child with us right now. They got two down the hallway and just have really enjoyed getting to know you. Alan, so he served as mayor of Costa Mesa around 2005, served three terms, uh, and then was doing some other things up in Sacramento, came back, and then he ran uh, this last uh, election, and doing part to my vote, he got back on. Um, one by one vote. My one vote. Um, I don't know, can I say that? Is that legal for me to say that? <laughs> don't record this. Um, free country. It's free country. Um, but I love his, his heart for the Lord. I love his heart uh, for the city of Costa Mesa. And so I just had a couple questions and we're going to just kind of dialogue for a couple minutes. So a couple questions. Uh, my first question was, um, how does one become mayor? Uh, specifically, how and why did you become mayor of Costa Mesa? Did you wake up one day and say, hey, I want to be mayor of Costa Mesa? Um, tell, no. tell, get us inside of your story for a minute. So there's something else though I just realized. I mean, you mentioned we're running long this morning. And you just gave a politician the microphone. <laughs> so I just, just wanted to warn you. No, so um, I got on, into politics by accident. But there's one thing you have to do before you run for office. You have to take a psychological exam. And you have to fail it. Because you have to be crazy <laughs> to run for office. So that's what I did. Um, no, I was living here like everybody else. I was, um, I was working for the sheriff's department at the time, and um, I bought a house here in Costa Mesa. I grew up here, lived here all my life, and so did Jennifer. And uh, I bought this fixer-upper because I had done some construction and plumbing in my background, and I wanted to remodel, and this was a, you know, a, a total fixer-upper. Anyways, I'm putting a lot of time and effort 
into the house and uh, uh, gutting it. Had never, you know, I'd always voted and um, paid attention to politics a little bit, but I you know, had no connections to, you know, the establishment politics or politicians or anything like that. No desire to run for office. But as I put time and effort into this house, um, I noticed things in the neighborhood. Once you buy a house, I, I noticed some crime issues, some traffic, um, broken streets, uh, quality of life issues, and noise issues. And I, 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 so I, I, out of frustration, I sent a letter to my elected officials. I got a nice letter back. Thank you, Mr. Monsoor. But nothing changed. And I, out of frustration, I went to a city council meeting and spoke up. And can you guys fix the street or can you address these crime issues that I have concerns with? Thank you, Mr. Monsoor, for your comments. And, and nothing happened. I'm like, well, where's, where's the results? You know, tell me if you're going to fix my street. And, um, and so I started to pay attention more to what was going on in my city. And a couple years had passed, and I got involved in some committees and stuff. But I was so frustrated at the lack of response. I was going to sell my house. It had gone up in value. I was going to move to South County or somewhere else. And I said, no, this is, this is where I grew up. And um, I, I talked to a few like-minded friends. I said, the only way, one of us, uh, only way to make a difference is for one of us to get on that city council. I'll support one of you guys if you want to run. They said, no, we don't want to run. We want you to run. I said, okay, I'll do it. I, I didn't know anything about campaigning. I wasn't connected to anybody. I literally ordered a booklet from the internet from a political action committee founded by Newt Gingrich, and it, it was how to get your message out, how to campaign, pick three issues. And I picked three issues, traffic, uh, 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 you know, crime and, and, and quality of life issues, and uh, infrastructure, fixing our streets. And I just, the booklet told me, Knock on doors, talk to people. I walked almost the entire city knocking on doors. Hi, I'm Alan Monsoor. I'm running for office and just talking with people. And I still meet people today at the market or wherever 15 years uh, later. And then I'll, they'll say, you know, you don't remember me, but you knocked on my door. And, uh, um, you know, it's just been incredible. So that's uh, – that, yeah. and I, I unseated the incumbent mayor at the time, and she was not happy, um, but I was happy, and that's so <laughs> – yeah. that's how I ran for office. So I guess there's that's many great. ways, though. Yeah, it's, it's been a – meeting. it's been a fun experience of realizing, like, normal people can do this sort of thing. You know, and – I'm not like, normal. This I'm is before, normal. before the last election. Uh, he was – we were talking. He's like, well, do you want to meet – the current mayor, I'm like, you can do that? Like, you can talk to the mayor? He's like, yeah, we'll, we, we'll go to Panera and meet. And so it's been fun just to see the accessibility of, you know, of a city, you know, a normal guy. Um, and I won't, I won't, if next time I have a plumbing issue, I'm not going to pursue it. I'll just say that much because I don't want to end up as mayor. Um, so I thought it'd be so great to hear from him, you know, this Christian man. Um, and we're talking specifically about Costa Mesa in this conversation. But what a great vantage point for us to hear from him. What, what do you perceive as the needs? What do you perceive as things that you would want the church in our city to be doing? So I would love to just hear, as you look at Costa Mesa today, what, what, do you, what would you identify from your vantage point as what are the big needs of, of this city? So obviously uh, homelessness is, is a huge issue, and uh, not just in Costa Mesa, but in a lot of cities. And it's, it seems to be getting worse. And there are a lot of uh, reasons for that and a lot of contributing factors. Uh, you have the rehab homes, which a lot of times people come here from other states. Uh, they, they go to these rehab homes. Their insurance runs out. Their money runs out. They get curbed or kicked out, and now they become homeless, and they have a drug problem. Uh, or, um, you know, people with PTSD uh, coming back from, from war. Uh, 
it's, it's expensive to live here in Orange County, so people are down on their luck and they don't have money or whatever, they lost a job. Um, so you can have a variety of types of homeless people. You can have people that are what we call service resistant. They do not want help. They have to hit rock bottom before they want the help, so they're out there and you, it's not a crime to be homeless. But uh, the ones that want to be helped, we do have a network for homeless solutions. They're doing a great job. We get you know email update all the time from them. We help 50 people this week, 60 people, whatever the number is. But then every week there's another 50, 60 more, and it just seems to be uh, increasing. And it's not just here; it's other cities as well. Uh, so that would be uh, one of the big issues. Um, so um, homelessness. I, and there's another issue that's really it's, it's really bothering me lately: uh, public discord, uh, rude behavior, uncivilness. Um, something I've always strived for. I, I, you know, we're all going to disagree on some issues, maybe, but I, I really want civil civil conversation. You know, um, but there's been some some discord. It's kind of a microcosm, in my opinion, of, of what's going on nationally. And there's a lot of anger, in my opinion, with some people. And um, that's unfortunate, and I think that's something to pray about. Mm-hmm. Um, fiscal issues, pension issues, um, that's, that's a huge issue. Um, we're facing some challenges, not just in Costa Mesa, other cities as well. Uh, other cities in our state have gone bankrupt, uh, you know, because of the, the pension issue and some other economic issues. We're facing some shortfalls uh, in, the, in the next few years because of that. We're going to have to pay more. Uh, to cover these costs, and it's just uh, regardless of where you are, you know, politically on it, mathematically, mm-hmm. um, it's a reality that's hitting us. So those, in my opinion, are, are the biggest issues. Yeah. Uh, this will be my last question. So, again, from your vantage point, here's a group of Christians, and you're on city council. What, what would you love to see Christians doing in Costa Mesa? What would you love to see the church doing in Cosmo, what kinds of things pop up from, from your vantage point is what you would want to be able to share with us. Again, whether, where, wherever we find ourselves on the political spectrum, what would you like to see us doing? Sure. And I knew we were going to be short on time. I, I, made, I wrote a few things down. I really don't want to forget a couple things I mentioned here. So I, I'm just going to make a I made a couple notes. Uh, definitely prayer. Uh, pray for us. Pray for me. Uh, pray for politicians we disagree with, you know. Um, so, so how can we – well, another thing we talked about um, – it's a good thing I wrote my stuff down here, <laughs> so I remind myself. Um, it's much easier to get – to make a difference locally. Mm-hmm. Um, if enough people speak up, you can make a difference. I give the example when I first ran for office. A handful of people helped me out. Hmm. I mean a few people, and, and, and I unseated an incumbent mayor, and it changed the direction of our city – and pick any issue, whether it's running for office or helping on homelessness or any, whatever the issue is, a handful of people that are committed and determined can make a difference. So mm-hmm. I know we get frustrated nationally. It's hard to change things nationally. I get frustrated. I want to fix everything. You know, in law enforcement, I would take someone to jail for DUI. Okay, I accomplished something. Uh, the, safe, the street's a little bit safer. But then there's more and more and more, and it's like you can't, you can't, uh, you can't arrest your way out of this. Um, you can't take everybody to jail. You can't, you, so you've got to get to the deeper issues of why people are in the situations they're in. And so, um, can I say, sorry, just sure. to say, you know, last week Jim Williams said something really interesting. God's got big covered. Do you remember that? But I just want to do the faithful things. And that, that our conference, we, we met this week, obviously. And um, I thought about, like, 
When I think of politics, I jump straight to national. And the reality is I have almost no ability to change or affect national. But the church, going back, to, I, I just jumped straight from me to individual national. And there's all the, the local context is actually something where we, that's small. We can actually make a difference. So I thought that was a really interesting. You, you absolutely thought. can uh, locally. Good. And I get just as frustrated with the national stuff too. <laughs> um, but I, I, I've come to realize uh, I want to make a difference where I'm able, and this is where I'm, where, where I'm able to do it. So prayer, uh, definitely neighboring. Uh, you know, you've talked about that, but also neighboring in the sense of get to, I encourage you to get to know your elected officials. Um, it holds us accountable. It holds me accountable. If you were to say to me or any politician, you know, that you've met or talked to, you know, I voted you for you because of this, or I didn't vote for you because of this, and this is my concern, that politician is going to remember you, and you have more sway than you realize, your voice. And it can always be civil, even if there's disagreement, it could be civil and, and, um, so anyways, um, uh, being informed, whether it's email notifications, town halls, uh, attend a city council meeting. Uh, if you can go to the dentist, you can go attend a city council <laughs> meeting. It's not, you know, it's not that hard. Um, so, and, and I think that's it. I, yeah. That's great. <laughs> Thank you. So, well, uh, let's give him a hand. Thank you for, Thank you. Um, and I'm going to pray for you. So I know we're going long. I'm going to close our time. We'll come up and sing, we'll sing a final song. But um, Scripture is very clear about praying for our leaders, uh, all those in authority. And so I thought we could pray for our cities and, and certainly pray for Alan as one of our own people who is uh, in leadership. So would you bow your heads and we'll, we'll pray. Well, Lord, we, we offer ourselves to you as, as your servants. And we know that there are various contexts of service. And you call each of us to different contexts, and we're not all called to every context, but as we think about the context of our city, uh, we want to be available to you. We want to we have a posture that is not just here to take, uh, to use resources, but also to, to have the posture that you call us to, a posture of a servant. So show us as a community and as individuals in the coming years, how can we be servants? How can we be salt and light in ways that meet needs, and in, in the process, um, point people to, to your love, uh, bear witness to your coming kingdom. And we lift up Alan uh, as one of our leaders in, in, here in Costa Mesa and are so grateful for him and his wife and children. And we pray your blessing on him. As scripture calls us, we, we pray for wisdom. We pray for courage, uh, which he needs a lot of. We pray for grace and humility and discernment. We pray for um, perseverance in a tough political climate. And so we, we ask your blessing on him and just pray that you would, you would you'd use him in this city in powerful ways uh, for the sake of the city, ultimately for the sake of the people in this city, for the sake of your kingdom. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Bye.